Hey, Cornerstone. How are we doing? Hey, uh, real excited about the message today. I just think it's helpful for an awful lot of what's going on in our world right now. I think you're going to hang in here. I want to say to Santan and Scottsdale, guys, glad you're with us and part of this and so proud of what's going on with you guys uh, in each of those locations. Uh, if today's sermon uh, is a little bit uh, ragged around the edges, you just need to know I've, I've had a super, super rough weekend. Uh, I became a grandpa this weekend. So, yeah. So, of course, I brought you the, there you go. So, it's Caleb Winters. How, that's a, how studmo is that name, huh? Caleb Winters, right? There's three generations of Winters right there. So, totally, totally cool. I, I, that moment, I turned to Josh and I said, uh, you're going to realize how good of a father I was. Uh, <laughs> I told him, I said, look, here's the deal. Uh, when, when Caleb comes over, I'm going to tell him to not listen to everything you say. We'll just see how this turns out for you, dude, on the deal. But here's, here's what was totally surprising for me uh, this weekend. First, first surprise was how someone as young as me could be a grandpa. That was just shocking. How, how can that possibly happen? Uh, the second surprise this weekend was how much work it is to deliver a baby as a grandpa. I mean, that's a lot of work when you're a grandpa uh, delivering that baby. So, just, if it's a little rough around the edges, you know why I've been, you know, just a little distracted. Uh, hey, uh, so here's the conversation I wanted us to have today. I, I think it, I wouldn't even have to ask for a raise of hands if I just said, hey, how many, how many of you would say, man, our culture is headed in the wrong direction? I, I think probably all, no, you're going, we, we, we get, I mean, Look at the election we're in right now. Is anyone going to be happy when this thing's? No one's going to be happy when this thing is over. And I, 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 I don't, well, there's three people maybe they'll be happy. But uh, I just go, really? These are the two best. These are the two best leaders in our entire, this, this is, wow. Uh, we've got crime. Uh, we, we've got people shooting policemen right now. We've got racial tension in our country. Uh, we're, guys, think about it. In Arizona, think about it. In Arizona, we have a proposition on the ballot whether or not to legalize marijuana. Are, are you kidding me? I'm like, really? And I'm, look, if you're in the room and you're a Christian and you go, well, you know, I was kind of thinking. Like, you don't need to think. I'm just telling you. Here's what you know. Jesus is not going to be smoking a blunt. That's all you need to know about this issue. There's, there, there's no way in the world that Jesus is going to be lighting up and, and sitting there and, and so that people could come and say, okay, wait, 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 wait. You said you're the son of God. You said that your heavenly father provides for all your needs, takes care of you. Then why do you need the artificial support of something else? Why isn't your God sufficient for you? There's no way Jesus is going to put himself in that position. And I'm just going to suggest to you as Christians, there's no way you and I should ever put ourselves in that position that someone would say, hey, wait a minute, you're telling me your God's so great, you're telling me he answers prayer, you're telling me he takes care of you, but you still need the same artificial help that I need, and I'm not even a God follower. That is a horrible testimony, and it is a lie, it's an untruth. And here we are. I mean, here we are. I mean, think about this. And our, guys, our culture is dark. And I don't know about you. There's moments when I just want to go, are you, are you kidding? Can I just find a cave and hold up for a little while uh, right now? But here's what you need to know. As dark as this world is that you and I are living in right now, as disappointed as you and I may be in this moment of history we live in, we are nowhere near as dark 
as a place called Babylon, a country that was uh, on this earth several thousand years ago. It was literally the epitome of evil. Uh, it is literally the darkest culture that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Matter of fact, let me just to give you a sense of how dark it is. When the Bible comes to the end in the book of Revelation, it says as Jesus is getting ready to come back to this earth, the angels sing out and they declare, finally, finally, Babylon is overthrown. Now, here's the interesting thing about that phraseology. Babylon's already been destroyed. Prophecy already tells us that Babylon will never be rebuilt. But Babylon has become in Scripture the personification of the darkest of evil that can possibly exist. Where you and I stand right now, we can't even see Babylon from here. That's how much darker it is or was than the world you and I live in. And here's an interesting thing. There was a God-fearing man who lived in the midst of that culture and thrived. He, he literally found a way to keep his faith intact. He found a way in the midst of Babylon to serve God faithfully. And matter of fact, you ready for this? His influence led to three revivals, three spiritual movements across that incredibly evil, vile country. And his name is Daniel. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I was a kid growing up, uh, I thought Daniel was like a Sunday school story type character. Because, you know, if, you, if you're a kid and you're over in the children's ministry, you know, you, you hear the whole thing about Daniel in the lion's den, and uh, you hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they take a stand for God, and they end up getting thrown in the fiery furnace, and they don't get burned. And I thought, you know, this is, this is just kind of like Sunday school curriculum. That's what the book of Daniel is. That is not the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is actually a manual, an owner's guide to teach adults, to teach you and me, how do you live as a God-fearer, a God-honorer in a desperately dark culture? How do you navigate that? Which means what we're about to talk about today just applies all over the place to you and me. So grab your Bibles, let's go. It's the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 1. It's super easy uh, to get there. Just go to the middle of your Bible uh, and then start working to the right. Uh, you're going to run into the book of Ezekiel and start slowing down. Daniel uh, will be next. And guys, if you got your Bible, man, you're going to keep them open today. We're going to refer back several times. I just want to encourage you to always bring your Bible uh, with you as you come. If you don't have a Bible, we, have, we will give you a Bible. We have Bibles in the back. We'll give, you want to be sure that what we're saying is accurate and true. So please, please, please have your Bibles with you. So here it is. It's Daniel chapter 1. Uh, this is the story of a guy by the name of Daniel. Here, here it is. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, waged war against it. And the Lord, what? The Lord delivered. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, here's the moment. So Daniel starts off, he says, look, here's what you need to know what's happening in our history. God delivered us, the nation of Israel, into the hands of an absolutely heathen nation. 
And as a part of what went on, not only did our ruler go in and all of us into slavery, but articles from the temple were taken and seized. Now, this is a big deal. Here's what we got to get. The articles of the temple were considered sacred. Uh, they, they were a testimony to the wonder and the power of God. And the average Israelite couldn't even, you couldn't get near them or touch them. Matter of fact, there was a moment when the Ark of the Covenant is being moved. And as they're moving the Ark of the Covenant, it begins to tip. And somebody, seeing it tipping, did exactly what you and I would have done that moment. They reached up to help to straighten up the Ark of the Covenant, and God immediately struck them dead. He said, you will not touch the sacred stuff. Now, with that understanding, in this moment, Daniel says, and this would have been shocking to his peers at the time, God delivered into the hand of this wicked king the articles of the temple and allowed him to take them and put them on display in the temple of his God, right next to the gods of all the other countries that he had defeated, as a statement of mockery to say, hey, look, 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 our God, Baal, is greater than all of these gods, including God Jehovah, and God, Daniel says, allowed it to happen. Back to the passage. Verse 3, then the king ordered Asaphaz, chief of the court officials, and actually the phrase there is captain of the eunuchs. He orders the captain of the eunuchs to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal service, uh, from the family and nobility. And then Daniel goes on, because Daniel is actually writing the book of Daniel, he goes on to describe the type of young men that were conscripted and put into service. You ready? Here's what Daniel says about himself and his friends. These were uh, young men uh, of physic without physical defect, handsome, showing every aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Thankfully, Daniel's humble. Uh, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Now, guys, get this. The language and the literature. He's going to teach them the occult because the culture of the time, the, the prevailing thought of the time was black arts and black magic. And so, they're going to assimilate Daniel. They're going to teach him how to speak Babylonian, but they're going to teach him to think Babylonian, which means he's now going into a three-year program on the occult. So you and I think we have it bad. This is dark. <clears throat> Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were entered into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, here's what you need to know. Uh, in this culture, in this time, your name had meaning. Uh, the name Daniel means God is the judge. He is now given a new demonic name, which is Baal provides life. So think about this. Every time now you, as a God-fearer, are referred to, you're referred to by a demonic title. Verse 8, 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God caused the official to show favor and compassion on Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. So he goes to the captain of the eunuchs, and he says to him, hey, look, is there any chance we could opt out, have, you know, a different type of food than the other food? I'm thankful for the king's food, but could we? And he goes, look, Daniel, I like you. You're a great guy. You've been nothing but pleasant but I, I can't do, what am I going to do if you end up looking sickly? The king will think I'm not taking care of you. He'll have my head. I'd like to, but I can't. Now he goes, interestingly enough, to the next person down in the totem pole. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official, the captain of the eunuchs, had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men that eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10. Now think about this. Daniel doesn't throw hissy fits. Daniel doesn't in this moment go, hey, you don't know who you're dealing with. I'm from the nobility and Israel, and we happen to serve the real and living God. Like your cruddy, poopy God. He doesn't throw any hissy fits. He just simply said, look, 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 I get it. I get what you're up against. I get the precarious place this puts you. Could we try a test? Would you be willing to do that? Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier. Actually, in the original, it says they looked fatter. They looked fatter because in the culture, skinny people were sickly people. They were poor people, and fat people were healthy and wealthy people. Apparently, I was born several generations too late. Okay. At the end of 10 days, they looked fatter, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate from the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four men, watch this, this is a big deal. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. What literature and learning did God just give them knowledge of? the occultic literature that they were studying. Isn't that interesting? God gave them, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time the king had set to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. What do you think the king questioned them about? Babylonian culture and teaching. In every matter that the king questioned them about, he found them to be ten times more knowledgeable, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So here's the moment. Think about this. Daniel is, has been dragged off to this foreign country. He's, been, he's watched his own family be persecuted. He's watched friends die. He's now been conscripted into the service of the evil king who ordered it all to happen. He's now been forced to learn black magic and the black arts. And it says in that moment he chooses to become the best student in his class. He graduates valedictorian. Matter of fact, when he's quizzed, he's ten times better than all the magicians, all the valedictorians who were before him. He knows their stuff better than they know their stuff. 
And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, guys, look, 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 look. Don't miss what happens to Daniel. Don't miss how bad the circumstances are that he finds himself in. Not only has he been dragged off as a captive and a slave by an absolute enemy of Israel, he's watched friends and family be killed by these people, and now he's being put in service for them. Uh, chances are Daniel is castrated in this moment. You go, well, Lynn, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, why are you saying he's castrated? Because he's put in the company, or he's put in the group of the chief of the eunuchs. Guess who the chief of the eunuchs directs? Eunuchs. And if you're in his club, guess what the entry fee is? See, here, here's, here's what would happen in these days. So remember Daniel talked about how handsome they were and wonderful and just smart. And, and If you're an old king and you've got a harem and now all these young men are coming into your service around the palace, you've got a problem. So how, guess how you solve the problem? You turn them all into eunuchs. Then your harem's happy to see the old king. Here's another reason I'm pretty sure. Daniel writes the book of Daniel. And you need to know that within the culture of Israel, children were your glory. Children were your wonder. If Daniel had ever had children, what do you think the chances are that he wouldn't have told us about? I just told you about my grandson. What do you think the chances are that he wouldn't have told us about his sons? And my best guess here is here's a young man dragged off by his enemies, taken into an absolutely vile and dark culture, and the first thing they do to him is what no young man wants done to him, and they turn him into a eunuch. They castrate him. And then if that's not enough, they begin to teach him the black arts, and then they change his name. They change his name so that every time, how many times in a day, someone's going to call out his name, and he's been named after a demon deity. I mean, how dark is this circumstance? And yet, here's the wonder of this. You ready? This guy, Daniel, not only is he going to survive this culture, he's going to thrive in this culture. He's going to be promoted over and over and over and over again. And there's going to be key moments when he's going to have the ear of the king, and he's going to whisper into the ear of the king, and he's going to say to him, you need to know that God is here. And he's going to literally lead that country in three revivals, three movements of God, all come from this guy who lives in an unspeakably dark world. So here's the question. What does he do? And what does it say for how you and I navigate the times that you and I are living in right now? So here we go. Here's the first thing. Daniel, Daniel is absolutely confident about who's in control. Let me say that again. Daniel has an absolute confidence about who's in control. He knows, ready for this? He knows that the Babylonians are in charge. See, the evil people are winning. The bad guys have got the better score. But he is absolutely confident about who is in control. Doesn't matter who's in charge, who's in control. And here's what you and I need to get in this moment, because it's what Daniel understands. There are moments... <laughs> in which God will allow the wicked to prosper in order to achieve his final goals. See, this is hard for us, right? Because we see seasons, we go, wait, 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 wait. How did, that, how did that boss, with all of his cheating, all of his, how did he get the promotion? How, how, how is it possible that that person is getting, and, and you and I struggle. And what you need to know is that 
God has seasons in which He allows the wicked to prosper in order to achieve His goals. What's He doing in Israel right now? Israel has become absolutely attracted to the Babylonian religion. They begin to bring Baal worship to Israel. And God in this moment just says, okay, well, if you're that attracted, if, if you're going to start living like the people who don't know me, sound familiar at all? If you're going to start living like the people who don't know me, then how about you just serve those people? We'll just do that. And Israel would have said, wait, 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 God, wait a minute. I know, I know, I know. I know we haven't lived right. I know, I know we've kind of scooted over. I know we've kind of become like the Babylonians. But we're not near as bad. We're not sacrificing our children like they're sacrificing their children. We're not going to the temple and sleeping with prostitutes like they're going to the temple and sleeping with prostitutes. We're, we're not as bad as them. Why aren't you judging them first? And God would say to Israel, because you're my people. And it's more important that your hearts be right than that they be judged. And God at times allows the the wicked to prosper in order to achieve his greater plan. So here's my question. If you and I know that, if you and I believe that, if we believe that even though the wicked may be in charge, God is still in control, why do we freak out? Why do we freak out? Why do we freak out when that person gets elected? Why do we freak out when that judge gets appointed? Why, Why do we freak out when... The horrible boss gets from, why do we freak out? If we know that the wicked may prosper, but God is still in charge. I don't, I don't. Have you read the last chapter of this thing? See, there, the, you realize the, the last chapter, we win. Can I just say that out loud? We win. We win. I, don't care. I don't care how bad the score gets between here and there. We win in the end. Have you read the last chapter? I've got a friend. Uh, my friend is a USC fan. I know, I know, I know. We all have our faults, okay? So he's a USC friend. But he tells this wonderful story. About 2005, USC is on its way to a national championship. They got an undefeated season going, and now they're going to go play Notre Dame. Here's what you need to know. USC hates Notre Dame. I don't know if you cut this or not. USC hates Notre Dame. But he's all hyped. He's all excited because USC is a juggernaut this time. And Notre Dame is in one of their slumps, and they're not playing very well. And he's going, okay, this, this is just a sleeper. It would be easy. The problem is they get to South Bend. They start playing the game. And USC is playing lax. They, they leave all sorts of opportunities on the field. And Notre Dame just keeps hanging around. Literally, ready for this? Literally, with less than two minutes left, Notre Dame marches down the field, scores the go-ahead touchdown for the first time in the whole game. There, there are Notre Dame players bumping their chest. The band is playing. The leprechaun is dancing. I mean, it's just, it's going. And my friend, my friend describes the moment. He goes, ah, I knew. I, I just said, God, why have you left your throne of all times to go to the bathroom? We needed you here. And he said, I just freaking out. I mean, everything was lost in that moment. He said, here's the wonder. Here's the wonder of it. USC gets the kickoff. They march all the way down the field. Matt Leinert drops back, throws this kind of unprobable pass. He gets caught. They run it down to the one-yard line. And then what ha- it's, called, it's called the Bush push. So Reggie Bush pushes Matt Leinert into the end zone, and they score. And with time runs out, USC wins. And here's what my friend said. I have TiVo'd that game. And whenever life is going bad and when things are going wrong, I pull out the USC Notre Dame game. 
And he said, I watch it. I just watch it through. And I, you get to that moment, and Notre Dame goes in to score, and all the Notre Dame players are chest bumping, and I just go, ha, <laughs> ha, just a little leprechaun's dancing, and I go, ha, 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 because I know what happens next. So as a matter of fact, I put it in slow motion to see all the joy on their faces because I know where it's going. Guys, why are we getting all freaked out? No, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I don't like what's happening any more than you do. I, it bothers me just, and I wish it weren't, and I wish we were appointing better, and I wish, I wish. But why are we so afraid? We win in the end. See, the wicked may be prospering, but our God is in control. Second thing. <clears throat> Daniel had the wisdom to know when to pick a fight. He had the wisdom to know when to pick a fight. I mean, stop and think about this for a second. They are requiring him to get a three-year master's degree in the occult. I mean, think about how dark this culture is. I mean, we don't live in a government that says, hey, if you want to serve in the government, you have to have a three-year master's degree in witchcraft. And yet they're requiring that of, of Daniel. And Daniel goes, look, 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 here, I'm okay. I'm okay because here's the deal. They're only asking me to study it. I don't have to believe it. And, and how much better if I know what they believe better than they know what they believe so that when we have the conversation, I can actually show them the flaws. I can, I can, I can have an intelligent conversation and help them get to the other end of it. Anyone hear something interesting? And Scripture says, and God helped him be a great student of the occult. Verse 17, not because he believed it, because he was studying it to be better prepared. And Daniel, you know, Daniel's going to go on, and, and he's literally going to support and help. Uh, he's going to stand by the king and encourage the king. And here's, here's what I think. I don't think Daniel's surprised that they're requiring him to learn this stuff. I've got a feeling when he's in that caravan heading to Babylon, he says to himself, I, I bet you there's an assimilation program. I bet you somewhere they're gonna teach me Babylonian. I bet you somewhere they're gonna teach me all of their dark customs and culture. I, I just bet you that's coming. Because, because you ready for this? Daniel expects Babylonians to act like Babylonians. Daniel expects Babylonians to act like Babylonians. It's interesting for me, because we're in the election right now, and I hear Christians going, oh, I just can't vote for anybody. You know, they're, they're both just so dark, they've got so many flaws, they're both so screwed up, they're both so dishonored, I can't vote for anybody. Really? You don't expect people who are far from God to act like people who are far from God? That surprises you? You want people who are far from God to act like Christians? Well, you're going to be disappointed. And guys, I'm just going to say to you as Christians, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You're going to have to figure that out. I think you've got to vote for the platform that you think most reflects your Christian values. But here's the thing in the end. If you don't vote, if we don't vote, then when someone's going to get elected, right? Someone's going to get elected. 
and then you and I go and say, would you please protect my religious liberty? Would you please talk to me about the sanctity of unborn life? And don't they have every right, if you and I opt out right now, if we pick this fight to fight, don't they have every right to say, wait a minute, when I was trying to get elected, aren't you the one that was so high and mighty on your righteous horse of character that you didn't even vote for me? And I'm just telling you, Daniel knows which fights to fight and which ones not to. And he's saying, look, as long as you don't force me to do something. Matter of fact, think about this. The only time that Daniel wears back is when King Darius says, hey, you're going to bow down and pray to an idol for the next 30 days. And Daniel goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I can't do that. Now you are requiring me to do an ungodly behavior. You're not asking me to study something. You're not asking me to attend a part. You're asking me to do something that directly violates. And he goes, I can't. I can't. But even as they take Daniel to the lion's den, he's not going there screaming and going, you bunch of heathen piece of… right? Matter of fact, it's on the other side of the lion's den as Darius pulls him out that Daniel says, the God that you, I've been whispering in your ear, the God I've been nudging you toward is the God who closed the mouth of the lions. And Darius in that moment literally puts a decree out and says, all of Babylon has to worship the God of Daniel. Guys, I'm just saying you and I need to know which fights to fight. Do you know which fights to fight? Daniel did. Third thing. Daniel has a genuine compassion for Babylonians. I mean, think about this. This, this is crazy. Why would Daniel have a compassion for… These are the guys who killed his friends. These are the guys who raped and pillaged his town. These are the guys that dragged him off into service, castrated him, gave him a demonic name, taught him in the… Why would Daniel have any compassion for these guys? And yet, we know he did. Here's why. As you read on in the book of Daniel, there comes a moment when King Nebuchadnezzar, the very guy who did this stuff to him, is standing on his balcony, looks out over Babylon and says, is this not great Babylon that I have built? And he gets all swelled up in pride, and God decides in that moment, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to teach you a lesson in humility. And he causes Nebuchadnezzar to have a dream. Daniel gets called in to interpret the dream. Guess what the dream is? The dream is, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go off and eat grass in the field like a cow for seven years. And when Daniel is forced to interpret the dream, here's the first thing he says to Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who's caused him all this pain. He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this was happening to anybody but you. Is that remarkable? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish, I wish this was happening to one of your enemies. I wish this was happening to anybody but you. And you suddenly realize Daniel has invested his life to Nebuchadnezzar's success. He's, he's been walking life with him and, and rooting for his good fortune. Guys, this is hard. This, is, this may be the hardest one on the list that you and I would actually care for and have compassion for Babylonians. That you and I would actually care for those who are outside of our circle. Because you know what we do? We, we put on a filter and we say, okay, so here's, here's how we're going to judge you. We're going to judge you based on whether you line up with my values. So here's what I'm asking. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Because I'm just telling you, you're either in or you're out. Are you a Christian or are you a non-Christian? 
Are you a Baptist or a Presbyterian? I just got to know because that's going to define, because you ready for this? Because we assess people by whether or not they agree with us and line up with our values. And based on that, you ready? We put lines in the ground and you're either on the right side of the line or you're on the wrong side of the line. And let's just be honest, there is no compassion for those that are on the wrong side of the line. They're getting what they deserve. And you're like, God, God is not a line maker. He's a path builder. And what God, God when he looks at us, says, look, here's the, we're all people, we're all people. And there's only two types of people. There are people who are heading away from me and there are people who are heading toward me. That's it. And your assignment in Babylon, your assignment in the darkness of culture is to walk alongside as best you can the people who are headed away from me and say, look, 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 if I can ever help you with your kids, I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you what I've discovered. If, if I can speak into your marriage and if I could make a difference, for, I would, I would, because I'm so rooting for you. I'm so on your side. Because guys, here's what you need to know. Nobody is willing to hear what you and I as Christians have to say until they know that you and I genuinely care and respect them. Not agree, not agree. I don't agree. You don't agree. But I genuinely care and I respect and I'm rooting for your success. And if I, if I can ever help you with finances, I'll help you with finances. So that, you ready? So in that moment of their journey away from God, when they come to the end of their path, when they come to that moment that does not work and puts them in absolute crisis, that you and I are close enough to whisper in their ears and say, there's another way. And could I direct you toward a God who would help you with this? See, we're not to be line makers. We're to be path blazers for people. Didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus say, you are the light of the world? That's what you're to do. You're to live in an incredibly dark culture and shine the light so that people could see the path and start going the right direction. How many of you have been to Carlsbad? Okay, good. Like two of us. So this is going to help you a whole bunch. So Carlsbad Caverns, it's kind of uh, inside of New Mexico. It's just this amazing place. It's, you know, huge caverns. They've discovered it's got all these bright lights that colorize all the stalactites, and it's just amazing. Part of the tour, they take you way down, way down in the depths of Carlsbad Caverns, sit you down on a bench, and turn out the lights. Now, the reason they do this, despite all of you that have your phones on right now, the reason they do this is because they want you to experience what it means to be in just absolute darkness. Here's, here's the incredible thing about this, that when you and I are living in darkness, matter of fact, maybe even the darker that it is, the more powerful even the tiniest light in that darkness, a, a tiny light suddenly becomes a powerful place of hope. So what does it mean? What does it mean for you and I to be Daniel living in Babylon? To, to just simply say in the moment, look, I, I get it, it's scary, I don't like a lot of what's going on, 
But even though the wicked are winning, I know who wins in the end. I know who's in control. And, and I look, I'm, I'm going to pick my... I'm, this is not about winning an argument. This isn't about proving that I, we're right and they're wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not picking fights over that. And that we would find compassion for Babylonians, for people who are headed away from our God. And we would say, look, I, I'm just going to root for you. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do anything I can to help you in the hopes that in the right moment, you'll let me shine a light and we could turn a corner and you would head toward my God. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to you and we're just going to say it out loud, God, we've, we've been frustrated. We've been discouraged. We're sick and tired of the news reports right now. We, we look forward and we go, there's just no way to win from here. There's, there's no way to be happy from here. And the wicked seem to be winning. And God, remind our hearts that no matter what the score on the scoreboard, our God wins in the end. We're on the winning team. God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom about the fights we need to pick. That we're not drawing lines in the sand, instead we're creating paths. And God, help us to love Babylonians. Help us to be able to come alongside as the children of God say, look, I love you. I'm rooting for you. I want nothing but the best for you. And when the moment comes, I'll shine my light and we'll find a path. God, help us to thrive in Babylon. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.